Welcome to episode 132 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversations with SACOMER trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all of the podcast players or by going to sycomer.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us on Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. Our sponsor this week is PsychArmor, the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. On today's episode, I'm featuring a conversation with military spouse Elizabeth Garcia, the director of the Military Spouse Fellowship Program for Hiring Our Heroes, an initiative of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce Foundation, connecting transitioning service members, veterans, military spouses, and caregivers with American businesses to create economic opportunity and a strong and diversified workforce. In her role, Elizabeth focuses on strategic planning, team building, business development, and strengthening partnerships. Find out more about Elizabeth by checking out her bio on our show notes. Let's get into my conversation with her and come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. So Elizabeth, I'm glad to be able to talk to you and learn more about the work you do to support military spouses. But before we get into that, I'd like to hear more about your background and why this work is so important to you. Thanks uh, so much for asking that question. I am an Army aviation spouse of 21 years. Before that, I hailed from the great state of Texas. Thanks to military life, we have ventured through the state of Texas a, a few rounds at Fort Bliss, Texas and Fort Hood, Texas. But when I met my Army aviator many moons ago, I was a television news reporter. I had big dreams and big hopes of taking that career in some places. And I believe when the Army gave us orders right after we first got married, I realized very quickly that career wasn't going to go where I thought it was going to go. There were some months and possibly years of resentment that, that built up a little bit for me early on as a military spouse, because when I started my career as a television news reporter, I actually had success really fast early on. I won an Emmy Award, a, a regional Emmy Award for some work I had done when we were stationed in Savannah, Georgia. So as I was hoping to take that career places, I, I realized it wasn't going to go places. And, and there's actually a very symbolic thing behind this. I got the Emmy. The Army gave us orders. The Army movers came to our house, wrapped up this Emmy in paper, put it in a box. During the chaos of it all, I didn't even think about it. On the other side, when we unloaded that box in Washington, D.C., I opened the Emmy and I kid you not, one of the wings on the Emmy had broken off as I took it out and put it on the mantle or on the bookcase and I just sat there and stared at it for a long time. And my husband's, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry this is happening. We'll get it fixed. We'll get it fixed. And I said, no, I have a feeling this is going to be pretty symbolic of what the military is going to do to my career as we keep moving along with the Army. Like I said, I felt a little resentful and really frustrated for some time. And then I started to want to change that for myself personally. So I kept finding work anywhere the Army sent us. It wasn't easy. My career took pivots. It took pitfalls. I was very underemployed sometimes. I began talking to other military spouses about how important it was not to let those careers go because sometimes they give that up as they marry this military person and they're on the move. And 20 years later, they blank and they're like, where did my career go? How do I jump back into this? So I, I started advocating for this a long time ago, uh, for this military spouse employment 
peak that I struggled with so much early on as I became a military spouse. But here I am now working for Hiring Your Heroes. And again, did I stay a television news reporter for 20 years? Heck no. <laughs> My career went in a lot of different directions. But here I am now working in this great nonprofit organization, launching programs that help military spouses. I work for the Military Spouse Fellowship Program at Hire Her Heroes. We launched it in 2017. And here we are in 2023 with a nationwide program that is connecting military spouses to employment opportunities. And it's great. It, it's just uh, great to see this, what happened to me come full circle. And we're trying to address this early on for spouses uh, so that they have a lot of opportunities to connect with careers that are portable and flexible and all of those things. And that story is unique to you. And it's also so common. I've heard it. We could do a Mad Libs version is I met my blank in this year <laughs> and I was currently a blank. And then I wasn't. When I met my wife in late 90s, she was a correctional officer and she left the Knox County uh, Sheriff's Department. She planned on working in law enforcement career and she met her soldier randomly and decided to, to and, and after uh, probably a year after we met, we were married and then we had orders to Germany and she's not in law enforcement in Germany. And I've heard the same thing with lawyers that had successful law careers and then they met their Marine. And then they said, now I am in North Carolina, not California. I'm not licensed to bar. So I think that's such a common story of successful career oriented professionals meet their service member. And then the military takes them off and derails their plans. Oh yeah. Derail is, is the good word for it. Derails. Yeah. It's hard not to get resentful sometimes during that experience. And, and again, 21 years ago, there wasn't much out there for military spouses. Where do I go to get help? How can I get the resources to get back to being employed? But now there are resources popping up and, and military. There is a major problem with military spouses and the unemployment piece. And I'll tell you what the number is right now. To Right now, we can tell you military spouse unemployment is at 21 percent. And it has stubbornly been sitting at that number for over a decade. It's not moving. It's still staying there at that 21, 22%, maybe 23%. It's good to see these programs starting to come out. There's things happening in our government's funding and executive orders that are being unveiled that are trying to help this 21% unemployment rate. So it's refreshing to see these things taking off. And hopefully military spouses aren't so much in the fine print. They're going to be in the bold print moving forward as these initiatives take place. And correct me if I'm wrong, that 21% is military spouses that are actively looking for employment, are employable, and can't find jobs. There's another group that simply have, have stopped looking for employment or because of whatever the nature is, they're not looking for work in the employment sector. And so the unemployment of military and veteran spouses is probably larger than that 21%. It very well could be. And I know that another big number to hit upon that is the underemployment piece. Yes. And I've been there, done that when I was an Emmy Award winning podcast journalist. And then we get stationed at Fort Rucker, Alabama. And there's that's the home of, excuse me, Fort Novacell. They actually changed the name of that, the, the post recently. There was not a lot to do there. So I took a part time writing job, just trying to do what I could do to not let my resume get too dusty if you will, and keeping it with the pulse so that when we got orders somewhere else, I was able to hopefully find employment down the road. So that underemployment piece is huge as well, that military spouses that are highly educated, highly upskilled, can't find the work that they probably should be doing. So they're taking jobs under, that, that are not underneath them, but they're more qualified for. 
Right. And I, I think this is one of the things, as you're talking about, we're having more of these conversations about military spouse unemployment and underemployment. And, and I would say, I believe probably when I retired in 2014, maybe starting the conversation really to 18, 19, but really a lot of these conversations around veteran and transitioning military unemployment started back in 2008, nine, things like that. So the corporate sector and organizations like Hiring Our Hero have really done a lot of great work over the last 15 years addressing transitioning military and veteran unemployment and underemployment, and trying not to have that earnings clip, but less recently have really been now shifting that focus to military spouse underemployment and unemployment. hundred percent. Yes. I, in one of my pages of my resume, as I've been a chameleon and done different things, I actually was a facilitator for the Department of Labor and I taught the transition workshops. And back then the curriculum, I want to say veteran unemployment rates were at the 23, 24% mark. They were just as high, if not higher than military spouses are currently. And now that number's way down with so many initiatives, many things that they put into place to help veterans. We were seeing homeless veterans too. It was a huge problem. And I'm not saying that it's gone away, but a lot of initiatives came into place to help our veterans and transitioning service members get that number down to what it is now. I don't want to throw a number out that's incorrect, but I know it's, it's way down now. So yeah, the, the, we're coming around for spouses and it's just very exciting. I'd love to see that 21% unemployment rate drop because it needs to. It's been sitting there for a long time. There's some unique challenges with military spouse and even veteran spouse, but even more specifically, military spouse unemployment Things like licensure portability, if they are licensed professionals or things like that, or things just short-term employment, you may only be in one place for three years or things like that. From your perspective, what are some of the unique challenges that you're trying to address related to military spouse unemployment? There are, there are a lot. And I will tell you, teaching job seekers how to find jobs, that's a big part of what HOH does. The, the military job seeker, how do we help you find employment out there as you're either transitioning out of the military or you're, you've been out of the military a while and you're looking to shift or you're a military spouse, right? So what is, in, in your mind, what is the number one way to get that job? I think the number is 83% of it is networking. I, mm -hmm. I think it's that high, right? So mm -hmm. it's who is in your network, putting your network into play, making it work for you to connect you to opportunities through your network. When you're a military spouse and you're moving to Fort Bliss, Texas, and you don't know anyone there, you don't have a network. And that's how most people find their next great job, not even their next great job, their next career is through the network and, and who they know. Um, so military spouses are at a huge disadvantage because to build that network, it takes time. It doesn't happen over. It takes work. It's a full-time sport. <laughs> so, so again, if you're on the move frequently every one, two, three years, you're having to build that network over and over again. So that's a huge disadvantage. And then here we have the other piece is the jumping around piece, right? If you're moving every two or three years, what's happening to your resume? It looks like a little bit of a red flag for a hiring manager on the other end that's looking at this resume and wondering why you can't keep a long-term job. Why are you moving around? Short-timer syndrome type of thing. So a military spouse's resume doesn't always resonate with hiring teams. And the other thing too is I've struggled with this. It's like I said, I've had to be a chameleon. So I took a job here as a, a writer when I was a television journalist. And then I started facilitating workshops like I just mentioned here. And I was all over the place. So sometimes it looks like our careers are just like, we don't know what we want to do when we grow up. 
<laughs> so there's that piece as well. But what I'm, you know, so I'm, I'm hitting the resumes, I'm hitting that network, that portability of a job is so important. And thank goodness, I feel like the workforce is coming around with that. Portability is starting to be a thing. COVID kind of taught us that, that we could take a lot of these careers and work from home and keep them on the road if need be. So anyways, there's a lot of challenges for military spouses. But what we always promote and educate employers is an education for the spouse piece and the employer piece here too. You come with a lot of transferable skills when you become a military spouse. When your spouse deploys or goes to a six-month-long training exercise or a three-month-long training exercise, there's a lot of hats that a military spouse will put on during that time. My husband just left today for Australia. I don't even know when he's going to be home. I think it might be a month. <laughs> but we just high-fived and, and said, I'll see you in a, in a while. I'm running the household. I'm working. I, I am... The, the cook and the carpool, there's so many things that there's these strong transferable skills that military spouses have that as they serve and move, they become super organized, super adaptable, super resilient. They're diverse. They know how to work with different folks from all different places. We have to make friends with our neighbors. And it's just that's what we do when we're military spouses. We're not just stuck in one community. We become very diverse in working with folks from all different backgrounds. And they're loyal. That's another thing we found with military spouses is they are a loyal group. When they do get an employment opportunity, and if you allow them to take it on the road, they're going to show you that they don't want to lose that opportunity. So they're going to stay with you for a long time. So again, I, I'm saying it's the two-part education piece where we have to tell spouses, like, you come with skills. They're there. We have to highlight these skills too on a resume. And it's also showing the employer, don't just look at that chronological resume that may not make sense. Look at those transferable skills that are there and very clear. And that that's going to be a big asset to your organization is bringing somebody on with those types of skill sets. And I think the interesting thing about what you're talking about there is that's what hiring our heroes has done well. For again, transitioning military and veterans, like being able to explain to that veteran who is underemployed because they just took the first job coming out of the military that you have more skills and educating employers that this is what you can expect from a service member and veteran. And so taking that experience from hiring our heroes and now applying that same formula to military spouses, that's where I think the military spouse fellowship program really seems to be something that's going to be really strong. So if, if folks are going to engage with the Military Spouse Fellowship Program, what are some of the things they can expect? So let me tell you just a little bit of history about the Military Spouse Fellowship Program and, and how they can engage, right? So what the program is, we kicked it off in 2017. Actually, this is my first run with HOH when I was brought on. They handed me this little baby program. It was a dislocated federal working grant that was given to the state of Maryland. And so they came to hire our heroes and said, can we launch something? We know you have successful fellows programs already in place. Can we look at the spouse piece? And so we launched that program back in 2017, just the state of Maryland. And in about a year and a half time, and what the program was back then was a six-week fellowship. I say fellowship is a fancy word for an internship, but we put these spouses and aligned them with host companies that had job opportunities for them. So it allowed them to go in get past that resume barrier that these companies always see, show them what they could do, start doing the work, start showing them the skills that they could bring to the table. And then after six weeks, they were looking at employment. So with that model, like I said, we kicked it off. We placed about 150 spouses in 18 months. And it had a lot of success. I'll tell you, it wasn't easy. I, when I was kicking off that program and knocking on doors in the state of Maryland saying, you got to learn about a spouse, 
I heard some really horrible things back then. I did. I heard companies say, why would we hire a spouse when they're going to be moving in just like a, a year's time? That's not worth our time. I, I literally heard companies tell this to my face back then, and it was so disheartening. So this, what this program really did was I started to say, just get one. Get your unicorn in the door, and it's going to change your mindset and the stigma that exists with bringing military spouses on. So again, we had success. Then we launched in seven other locations, eight locations. We kept growing thanks to great corporate sponsors, but are are really excited because at the end of 2022, we had in the 2022 National Defense Authorization Act provided the authority to compensate military spouses. So DOD came to us. We had the successful model, the successful program and said, we want to help. So we collaborated with DOD, with Deloitte. We took that six-week fellowship model and we actually turned it into a 12-week fellowship model. That was one uh, one thing we did hear back from companies back then is that it, six weeks wasn't long enough. They needed us a little bit longer. So now it's 12 weeks. Spouse works Monday through Thursday, typical eight hours a day. We, we have program managers. They turn on electronic timesheet. They get paid it's $18 an hour. That's the compensation that they're getting during the time of the fellowship which does not commiserate to what we expect on the other side. I will tell you that in just a bit. But again, with this collaboration with with DOD and Deloitte, it is our successful MSFP model. These are for active duty military spouses. That's the one difference is MSFP can be our tired spouses, separated spouses, wherever you are in that spouse life. But the uh, collaboration with DOD and the launch of what we're calling the Military Spouse Career Accelerator Pilot, I don't want to throw too many acronyms at us and get us confused, but it's the exact same great program. But with that collaboration nationwide now, all military, the, those active duty military spouses can apply from all 50 states, including Hawaii and Alaska. That 12-week model, they get paid $18 an hour and we align them if they're a match. It doesn't always happen, but we align them with the host company to go in there, show them what they're made of, and hopefully land employment at the end of the 12 weeks. I'll pause right there and tell you that uh, right now we have a 91% job offer rate for this program. So most of our spouses that are doing fellowships are getting a job offer from their host company. And right now our salary average is getting at about 70000 So that, that $18 an hour I was talking about that they're, they're making during the time of the fellowship, again, does not equate to what they're going to make at the end when the job offer comes in. I, I appreciate that history. And that's amazing. I, I think I'm, I'm amazed at a couple of different things of that. Some of the, <laughs> that, that last one in a very good way. But even, I mean, I was stationed in Maryland in 2005 and that's shocking to me. Maryland, and many people may not know this, but it is a very military heavy state mm-hmm. because obviously you have DC there, right? So the military district of Washington, you have bases like Fort Meade, Fort Detrick. There's a, a lot of military bases there. And you're talking 2017, people were still holding on. This isn't like the late 90s. This is something not even five years ago, people in a heavy military state were still considering military. That stigma was still there, I would say. It was. Yeah, it, it was. I, I am happy to say I'm we're not, not hearing it as much anymore. <laughs> Maybe I just hit the wrong hiring manager. I don't know a few times. But, but yeah, I did hear it. And, and if I could say one thing, it put more fire in my belly to, to change this. Why should I be judged on what my spouse does for his or her career? I'm my own person. So yeah, it, it's it, we're just very excited. This program, went, again, from this tiny baby program to now this massive program that's helping military spouses and, and really changing military families' lives. Because at the end of the day, you cannot have a successful, thriving military family 
on one income. Most people would agree with me when I say that, right? So when you look at our military families and you look at that 21% unemployment rate that military spouses are facing, they may not necessarily be thriving in that environment. So every time we make a, a spouse placement into this program and they're getting hired by a host company, we know that it's really changing some a family's life. And at the end of the day, that also equates to a, a, a stronger military that all volunteer force military that we currently have and celebrate in our country. Keeping those military families happy is a big part of that. And so we need programs like this to make that happen. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, I and, and I've heard this before and, and really to footstomp that point of this is a national security issue, right? Many people think that it's just helping spouses get jobs. But that single employment challenge may be the difference between somebody deciding to get out of the military or recommending that their children not join the military. There's all of these different challenges, but also the improving the social determinants of health. You think about the other side is financial instability can lead to things like crises, right? In, in emotional and in financial crises that can lead to more negative outcomes. So I think this is really Again, it's not just something that we're helping spouses get jobs. We are helping the military be stronger, the nation get stronger. And also there's a measure of if we believe that we owe those who don't serve or are no longer serving even owe a measure of thanks to those who serve, we owe an even greater, in my <laughs> aspect of my military, to my spouse. I think we equally owe that to the families of those who serve. Hundred percent, and and I'll say again, I've been talking about the education of the spouse and the company. We are really pushing business development right now for this program. Meaning, we when we launched the IMSCAP, the Military Spouse Career Accelerator Pilot in twenty twenty three, we had about eighteen hundred spouses apply right out of the gate. So, what do we need on the other side of that? We need companies hosting them. That's that's what we need. One thing that when we're engaging with these companies, we all think we really want a strong veteran initiative here. We really want to be military friendly. And they keep mentioning the veterans, the transitioning service number, which but that's great. We have a lot of those programs at HOA. But I love this quote. It's from our president, Eric Eversole. He says, you know, if you're a company and you want to have a strong military ready workforce within your organization, if you're looking at the veteran, you're only going to have half of a program or half of that workforce if you're not considering the spouse. And, and I love that. And I say that all the time and you can see the light bulb go off for them. Oh, yeah, you're right. We got to think about getting these spouses in as well. So I am happy to hear that they're starting to think about the spouse piece and the caregiver piece too. Our program also serves caregivers. Yeah. So all, all great things. And uh, we just, and then and there's even more good news around the corner. The executive order that was signed by or unveiled, I should say, by the president just last month. And there's some really strong and great initiatives in there. We'll see what happens. It's to be determined by military spouses were front and center. And so we were we celebrated at HOH when we saw that unveiling. And we're just hoping to see some good news out of it. Yes. And really excited to see HOH partner in this way and take really, again, the success that Hiring Our Heroes has had and really applying some of that success and lessons learned to military spouses. So if people want to learn more about the fellowship program, either if they are a military veteran spouse and want to apply, or they're an organization that wants to partner or make referrals, how can they do that? Absolutely. If you're a spouse and you're hearing this message right now and you're thinking, okay, where do I go to sign up? Please go to our website, hiringourheroes.org. We have links to get you on the spouse side, on the job seeker side. If you're a company or an organization too that wants to learn more about how can you hire a military spouse, we make it very easy. <laughs> 
We literally vet these candidates and get them to you on a silver platter. Go to our website. There's ways to navigate that for the employer too that wants to take part in this program. We're just very excited about where this program is going. Again, with DOD coming to us and saying, how can we do this? That, that shows you that at the highest level, they're wanting to make change. And we're just really happy about that. Yes, absolutely. And we'll make sure that links to all of those are in the show notes. Elizabeth, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Remember, if you want to look at the veteran, but not the spouse, you're only going to have that half a military-friendly organization. So help me push that spouse. I appreciate it. <laughs> absolutely. Once again, we would like to thank this week's sponsor, PsychArmor. PsychArmor is the premier education and learning ecosystem specializing in military culture content. PsychArmor offers an online e-learning laboratory that's free to individual learners, as well as custom training options for organizations. As always, I find it both necessary and encouraging to have conversations about supporting military spouses, as we've had several times in this podcast. No matter how often we do have these conversations, however, I don't think it'll be enough, because, as Elizabeth said, Unemployment and underemployment in the military spouse community is a persistent challenge, and with other seemingly intractable problems, we can't just shrug our shoulders and say that's just the way that it is. Military life isn't easy. It's not easy for the service member, and it's not easy for the service member's families. It's also extremely rewarding and comes with tremendous benefits, both tangible and intangible. I've always said the Army helped me take care of my family in ways that I never could have imagined. Through my own educational attainment, it's helped me pay for college for my children, and as my wife has long-term chronic health concerns, it has supported us in medical care that we wouldn't have been able to afford otherwise. So it's difficult and it's rewarding. But it doesn't have to be that kind of payoff that the rewards are commensurate with the difficulty. There are ways that military life is difficult when it shouldn't be, and military spouse unemployment and underemployment is one of them. Elizabeth makes some great points during this conversation. Many times, we find careers through networking and relationships, and it's hard to build relationships when you're moving every three years. Not only that, we love our military bases, even the bad ones that we love to hate, but they're not always in locations that are amenable to career-oriented professionals. On top of the unique nature of military life and building a career, we also have to work against stereotypes around military spouses in the workforce, such as the stigma against the spotty resume or the transitory nature of the workforce. So educating the employers is as critical as educating the career-seeking military and veteran spouses. And again, it's both encouraging and necessary that Elizabeth and Hiring Our Heroes are doing their part to move that forward. The other thing that I'd like to point out is something that we touched on in our conversation. Supporting military and veteran spouse employment is not just about helping spouses find meaningful jobs that they're qualified for. None of this happens in a vacuum, and this aspect of military life is intertwined with others. Things like childcare. The cost and availability of childcare is a barrier to employment, and many military spouses don't have family nearby to help watch the kids while the parents are at work. Therefore, one parent will remain at home to watch the children while the service member is doing their military duty. That then requires the military family to live on a single income, which can lead to financial instability. We've also had discussions about food instability in the military in previous episodes. Again, living in a single income household with multiple children can be difficult. We also need to consider the beneficial nature of a stable relationship. Happy spouse, happy house, as they say. I've frequently said that any measure of success that I've had both in the military and in my post-military life is as a result of the support of my wife. Not just the rah-rah, go get em, tiger type of support, but the type of support where I didn't come back to an empty house after multiple deployments, where she stuck with me even during difficult times. 
In my clinical work, if a service member or veteran has had a strong support network, then a lot of other stuff can be managed. The psychological concerns, physical health problems, even the lack of purpose and meaning and moral injury can be mitigated by strong relationships that provide ongoing support. You heard Elizabeth say early in the conversation that she often resented the military because of barriers to her career. And it's not that short of a stretch to move from resenting the military to resenting the person in the home representing the military. So addressing military spouse employment has a social and emotional component to it as well. And, as is often discussed, this can be a national security issue. One of the things that makes America worth living in is the freedoms that we enjoy. And those freedoms are partly as a result of the strong military willing to defend our way of life from those that would curtail those freedoms. However, as the military is an all-volunteer force, it requires citizens to consciously choose to join the military. And barriers to that choice could include the quality of life for family or any future potential family. There were definitely times in my 22-year military career that I considered getting out, and often it had to do with family considerations. So if supporting the military spouse is a way to stabilize the military workforce, and a stable military workforce is a key to maintaining the defense of our freedoms, then military spouse employment is definitely a national security issue. Sometimes I think that ringing that particular bell is simply another way to convince people to do what we want them to do, address the persistent problem of military spouse unemployment and underemployment. But it's also true. It all comes down to a strong and effective military, which is critical to our national defense. Military spouse employment is one aspect of that. So I hope you appreciated my conversation with Elizabeth. If you did, we would appreciate hearing from you. So if you do have some feedback, let us know. Drop a review in your podcast player of choice or send us an email at info at We're always glad to hear from listeners, both feedback on the show and suggestions for future guests. For this week's PsychArmor Resource of the Week, I'd like to share all of the courses on PsychArmor that support military and veteran spouses, but we wouldn't have the time because typing spouse in the search bar on the learning platform will give you almost 200 courses with topics ranging from employment to caregiving to supporting the well-being of the service member or veteran as well as that of the spouse. So instead of listing all the courses, I'll share one of the foundational courses for the military and spouse employment portfolio, the PsychArmor course, 15 Reasons to Hire a Military Spouse. Employers are looking for untapped talent pools. One talent pool that can be overlooked is the diverse and highly educated group of military spouses. Take this course to learn the top 15 reasons to hire a military spouse. The link to the resource will be in the show notes. So thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find in the podcast app, as well as on the Psychummer website, psychummer.org forward slash podcast. While you're there, you can find hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are committed to educating the civilian community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care, and it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation and make sure to engage with Psychummer on social media to let us know what you thought about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing, and all rights to the show remain reserved by PsychArmor. Much appreciation to the team at PsychArmor that makes the show happen. Carol Turner, Vice President of Strategic Communications, who keeps me on track and is an outstanding guest coordinator. Support and transcripts by Emma Atherall. Feel free to share the show. In fact, we request that you do, but make sure to let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode, and until then, stay aware, get educated, and be well.